I'm grateful for the fact that uh, from our office staff, both Sandy, who retired recently, and Tessa, who we just hired, uh, have a low incidence of uh, typos in the bulletin, which is really a remarkable thing. And there are some famous typos. You can find lists of them online. I wanted to read a couple of my favorites this morning as we move towards talking about baptism. Uh, one of them said, uh, low self-esteem group will meet Thursday at 7. Please use the back door. <laughs> Think on this one. Ushers will eat latecomers. It's a typo. For those of you who have children and don't know it, we have a nursery downstairs. <laughs> At the evening service tonight, the sermon topic will be, What is Hell? Come early and listen to our choir practice. <laughs> and finally, this afternoon, there will be a meeting in the north and south ends of the church. Children will be baptized at both ends. <laughs> Brian, can you make sure I'm out of the monitor here? I think I'm a little hot on the stage. Thank you. We're talking about baptism today. There is no possible way that in the period of time allotted that we can cover all that there is to say about baptism, so we're not even going to try. And, and indeed, even if you looked at all the verses that say that word baptism in one way or another in the New Testament, you're not actually going to get to the fullness of what's happening when we baptize within the church. Baptism, as we understand it in our tradition, we call it a sacrament. We do that on purpose. The origin of the word sacrament in a, in a very basic instance of the word from the Latin sacramentum was an oath. An oath that a Roman soldier, for instance, would take in the Ro ancient Roman Empire, the days of Jesus and the New Testament. They would take this oath and there was a dual benefit that's going on. I will give my allegiance and my life for the Roman Empire and the, the cause of the Roman Empire, and also in that oath that I give, the Roman Empire is going to take care of me. Yes, I get my marching orders from them, but they're going to take care of me as I go out and do the task that they give. There's this dual benefit that happens. There's an issue of identity. Just like even when we read in the New Testament about Paul using imagery of putting on the armor of Christ, when you put on the helmet of salvation, that's the identifying marker. So a Roman soldier would have made the oath and put on the marker, I'm in this army. They support me, I support them, I take my orders in obedience from them. We'll come back to that in a little bit, but that's the, the origin and the background of what's there, this oath, in a sense, that goes both ways. Now, Augustine, St. Augustine is often quoted when we talk about sacraments. He's famous for saying that a sacrament is the visible and outward sign of an invisible and spiritual grace. And I want to suggest to you that today that in baptism, we see God's grace made visible. And it's not because it's simply an independent act or a visible marker of some historic decision that somebody made to follow Jesus Christ, but in baptism, we see a God's grace at work forming a people, not just a person. And that's an important thing to recognize that's happening through baptism. And so a key question we can ask that's a baptism kind of question is what effect will the community have on the individual? If somebody is baptized into the church, whether infant or believer, as we affirm both, 
what effect will you all, the baptized people, have on that individual as they're incorporated into the body of believers in one way or another? And so to focus on that this morning, I want us to turn to 1 Corinthians again. We're going to look at verse 13. That is our text. All three questions that Paul asks, all three rhetorical questions that Paul asks with an obvious answer that he's got in mind. We will go a little bit farther in 1 Corinthians 1, but verse 13, let's hear it again. Paul asks, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? And the whole section, I don't know if you, you caught, I laughed a little bit after this, because Paul is really, he's asking these obvious questions, and he's like, I, I baptized this person, I baptized this person, I baptized, I can't remember who all I baptized, but that's not the point, guys. It's so vintage Paul, I love it, I enjoy it, he does this. It's, it's fun, but he's getting to a real important point. And we should recognize that when Paul writes this letter, as most of the letters of the New Testament, Paul is not writing to individuals in Corinth. He's writing to the church in Corinth. It's addressed to the Corinthian church. That's who he's writing to, not just individuals who happen to come together to hear the reading of a letter. But the church, the people gathered together by the power of the Holy Spirit, the baptized believers gathered together in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Paul has, in this first chapter, already touched on the issue of spiritual gifts, which is an important thing that he talks about throughout the letter of 1 Corinthians. Spiritual gifts are useless without the body of Christ. They really don't have any context out of that. There's not a real purpose to them. So Paul is clearly writing to a community. Paul is writing about how to function as God's community. And if we're going to uphold baptism, I just want to point out today, baptism makes no sense outside of community. It really doesn't. And sometimes people will make the claim, um, and I hear it actually pretty regularly, that it's, it's all just about me and Jesus, and church is good, but I don't necessarily need the church. That's the equivalent of when I worked for Starbucks as a barista, and somebody came in and said, I'd like a latte that's a little light on milk. Well, what is a latte but a whole lot of steamed milk and a tiny bit of coffee? If it's light on milk, it's light on all the liquid altogether. It's light on the, the, the content, the main thing. And so people will say, well, I'm, I'm a believer. It's just about me and Jesus, but the church is a good thing, but I don't necessarily need it. We have to question that a little bit, I think, because the entire New Testament is addressed to the church. The whole of Scripture only makes sense within the community of God's people. Community, community, all throughout. And so Paul asks this first question, if we're going to, let's just take them in turn, the three questions. Paul asks, is Christ divided? When Jesus gives his final instructions to his disciples and he gives the charge to go and baptize, he says, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You get this Trinitarian formula, we would call it. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And we recognize that it's three, it's one essence, three persons is the way that we state that theologically. It's not three separate gods. It's one God. It's the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And within the Trinity itself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we can see that there is unity. They're on about the same cause. They're, they're the same identity-wise. It's all one Godhead. But in Trinity, there is also community. That is to say they're together in that mission, even though it's one God in three persons. 
And so those who are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which is the only way that we do it, it's the way that Jesus commanded it, they should be of the same character as the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. One identity, same mission together in his community that has gathered together through Jesus Christ. And to that end, then, baptism becomes an act of identity, just like putting on the helmet of salvation, just like the oath taken by a soldier, sacramentum. It becomes our identity with Jesus Christ. We're one of his, and we go forward as one of his, joining with the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Paul's next question, was Christ crucified for you? The obvious answer, yes, of course Christ was crucified for you. If you go back to 1 Corinthians and go to verse 18 of chapter 1, Paul states, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Skip down to verse 26, if you would. He says, Brothers and sisters, I think, think not of what you were when you were called, or think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us the wisdom of God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let no one who boasts, boast in the Lord. While Paul ultimately does lose his life in service to the church, Paul, by this point, has not laid down his life for any individual or for the church, and even if Paul did lay down his life, as he asked, was Christ crucified for you? What if Paul would have done? Laid his life down. He could have been a, a martyr to, to exemplify. Paul could have been an example to follow by laying down his life for the church, but it would have been only a remember the Alamo type of moment. It would have been something that could personally inspire someone to pull themselves up by their bootstraps or do better or, or even have slightly better spiritual discipline or formation or whatever, but it only is an example. Was Christ crucified for you? There's a fundamental and foundational change that Jesus can, in fact, enact in our lives that no other human could because Jesus was God and human all at the same time. Jesus' death is certainly an example, just like anybody who's a martyr could be, but more than that, it actually has the power to transform us, to change something foundationally and fundamentally about us. It's, it's a transformative sacrifice that Jesus took our place on the cross. And that's why Paul can say righteousness, holiness, and redemption are some of the results that can come from this in the baptized community in those who choose to follow Jesus Christ, because those things are not things we can enact on our own. We cannot become holy other than by the power of God working in us. We cannot be righteous other than by the power of God working in us, and we cannot be redeemed, that is saying goodbye to the curse and hello to life, except by the power of Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's what's going on there. 
And we should also recognize then, importantly, that Jesus didn't just die for you and me, but for his church, the we. Acts tells us as much. That's why this matters so much. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, making a we. Because Jesus died for that. And so we have to recognize when we talk about uh, uh, what Paul is mentioning here and the baptism that we are baptized into then as believers, then God's grace is extended to us through Jesus Christ crucified. There's no other mechanism by which it comes but by Jesus Christ crucified. We can't achieve it on our own. We don't deserve it at all. And God freely gives it. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, but he freely gave it even before we knew we needed it. And we should recognize as well that even though this grace is given, we sometimes rest when we talk about baptism on the issue of faith. But faith doesn't save us. Grace does. Faith is the pathway. It's the mechanism by which we enter into God's grace as transformed people. To quote the, uh, our great saint in the covenant, P.P. P. Waldenstrom, uh, this is a little bit of a complicated quote, but I think we can get the meat of it. He says, Some say, if baptism is a means of grace, it would follow that everyone who is baptized would be saved. The gospel is also a means of grace, but it certainly does not follow that everyone who hears or reads the gospel will be saved. The means saves through faith. But where unfaith steps in, the means serves no purpose. Bread, he says, is, is a means of nourishment, but it does not follow that the one who has bread cannot starve. He will starve if he does not eat. We're handed the gift of grace. That's what saves, but we have to take hold of it at some point for it to have an effect. And in baptism, we're making a decision, either as the people of God or as the individual or both, to move towards God's grace. In my own story, if I think of my own story, we, we asked the question uh, during the greeting, were you baptized as an infant believer or do you want to be baptized? There's a little card in, your, uh, in the pew in front of you. If anybody does want to be baptized, just check it off and hand it to me later or Pastor Jody. But in my own story, I was an infant baptism. I was baptized right here in this place, actually, as a kid, as a baby. Um, and I was raised by parents and grandparents who raised me in the faith. That's part of what's supposed to happen in an instance like that. They, I was given an invitation very early to follow Jesus Christ, and I'm really thankful for that. It takes the commitment of the family to live out those baptismal vows, to be able to take hold of grace. But it takes the community, too, because I think even with that wonderful upbringing, and I'm blessed to have that, I, I'm saying that, I, I really feel thankful. But in that, I was raised by a community, of believers. And it really wasn't until a couple of guys in eighth grade started taking me and another friend, the other guy I was actually baptized with as an infant, out to breakfast at High V, that's now a Best Buy down here for the cheapest breakfast in the world, at 6 a.m. for an eighth grader, once a week. We went down there and we talked about what discipleship was. And that's when it started to click a little bit more. Because it doesn't just take the family, it takes the family, right? It takes the body of believers to raise us in the faith. And we have things along the way that are built in, like confirmation, where we allow people to affirm or confirm their faith along the way, especially if they're baptized as an infant. 
or certainly to be baptized at that point as a believer. But I know from my own story that it wasn't really until my college years that even though I was raised in this, even though I had the church community to help give me that solid foundation, that I really grasped on and ate the bread myself. And really dug in, as Walden, to use Waldenstrom's imagery here, we have to at some day partake of this thing that's given. Otherwise, we'll starve. With a believer baptism, they can recognize in that moment that they need the food now. And they're saying, yes, you're my people. I'm going to eat of this now. This grace, I'm going to take hold of. With an infant, we give them the food until the day they realize, I need to actually take this on my own. Either way, we're giving a foundation, an invitation, and marks along the way for people as they come to know Jesus Christ or grow in him. And the question for us is, how have you taken a hold of that faith in your own life? What kind of foundation are you built on or are you building or is built around you within the community? What kind of invitations are you ignoring or receiving from Jesus Christ and from his people? And what kind of marks do you have along the way of your faith in Jesus Christ to affirm that or live into it? To live out your baptism if you've been baptized or to begin to think what would that look like if you haven't? Paul finally uh, asks the third question, were you baptized in the name of Paul? Obvious answer, no, you weren't. John Weborg, uh, another covenant voice, uh, in a great article on baptism that takes about 10 reads to even get a couple things because it's so dense, it's good stuff. He says there are 10, if you boil it down, there are about 10 images of baptism we see in the New Testament, if you kind of put them together and group them. And you can see that there's washing, dying and rising, rebirth and regeneration, incorporation, deliverance from evil powers, circumcision, putting on a garment, a seal, sign of new ownership or a new name or enlightenment. In general, what you can see in all of those is that it's a, a relational issue. We're put in right relationship with God or with God's people in one way or another through those. And if we think about the things that we can experience in this life, we can have some profound experiences that are sort of anti-community or the opposite of what we'd want to experience in community. I was reflecting this week on the issue of loneliness, right? It afflicts us at different times in different ways. Many of us, perhaps, uh, as kids, we were the last people to be picked for the team. You feel lonely in those instances. Perhaps as you grew up, you had moments where there was no one to play with, right? And you feel lonely. Or as you grow up a little bit more, you're home alone on a Friday night and you feel lonely. There's no one around. And we can feel that all throughout our lives. I know um, for those that are in leadership, it gets even more profound is what I've discovered. Even if you, you can do anything to combat it, but there are days when you just feel like you're the only one making the decision, and it's lonely. But can I point out that baptism, baptism makes an anti-loneliness claim. Baptism is an act that says, these are my people, and I'm never left alone. These are my people, and I claim them. Baptism is an act of community, or they're claiming me. It's really both. 
So what effect has the baptized community, the church, had on you as you think it through? What effect has the baptized body of believers had on your character, on your spiritual formation, on your relationship with Jesus Christ, on your understanding of who God is, on your understanding of how to reach out and bring others in? What effect has the community had on you? Baptism becomes a sign of more than what just happens in that moment. A sign doesn't just point to the moment, it points to something beyond the moment, of the hope we have, of what we're supposed to become, not just what we are now. Baptism is a sign saying that something new is going to form right now in this person and in this people. That's what baptism says. Baptism claims these are my people, they're the people of God. Baptism claims that I will become part of God's own. That my identity and our identity as God's people is going to be visible. That God's grace is going to be visible because we are the baptized people of God. Baptism claims that I will be different because of God's work among God's people, of which I am a member. Those are the things that are happening in baptism. There's a claim of God's people and forming us as God's people from the beginning to the end of life and Let's pray together. God, may we be formed as your people. May we be grace visible in our interactions with one another, in the way that we raise the littlest among us, in the ways that we speak to the most senior among us, and in everybody in between. May your grace be visible in the way we operate in this place, in the way we look towards you, for our mission, for our vision, for who we are, for our very identity. God, as individuals, may you form us, and may you never let us forget how important your people, your church, your bride is, and how beautiful your bride, the church, is to you. May we be part of that beautiful bride, Father. May we be glorious and glowing for you, and may we reach out to bring others in so that they are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because, God, if we believe in this, if we believe that you've called us to be a people to shape and challenge and grow one another in Jesus Christ, then we believe that you have others who aren't yet here who we need to reach. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, God, we are thankful today that you've called us, that you're a God who invites Not a God to fear, but a God to love. A God to enter into in relationship. Who invites and invites and invites us. And is patient with us beyond measure. We thank you for your grace extended towards us. May we take hold of it today as your people. Amen.